welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about Lizzie Borden's wax so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Lizzie Borden by Elizabeth Engstrom. Joining us to discuss this historical lesbian pulp novel is not Becca, but an astral projection of Becca, and Lindsay, represented by her confused self. Hello. Hello. Hi, Becca. Welcome back. What's up? <laughs> Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the podcast for the first time. Thanks. <laughs> Seems like impossible that Lindsay's never been on the podcast before. <laughs> it's. I feel like it's her first time as a guest, but not her first time wandering through while we were recording at Renata's house. <laughs> That's likely. <laughs> Lindsay's just a ghost that lives in the podcast. <laughs> then is Lindsay's ghost the ghost of a ghost? She's a ghost haunted yes. by another ghost? <laughs> no one will understand that. No. Just a ghost on ghost on ghost, so. Yes. Yo, we heard you like ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I do like ghosts, but I don't think there were any ghosts in this book. Well, no, because no one had been murdered yet. Oh, great point. This is an origin story for the ghost. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, um, as, as you may or may not know, if you're listening to the podcast, I recently-ish moved to the Boston area from the Midwest, and I was talking to someone at work about Lizzie Borden, and they were like, oh, do people who aren't from here like even know who Lizzie Borden is? And I was like, yes. But I guess there's maybe like, I don't know, I may... Becca, you might be best able to speak to this. Is there some sort of regional pride or something for Lizzie Borden that... I mean, probably not to the extent as this person seemed to imply. It's definitely <laughs> like everyone's kind of aware, like, yep, this was Massachusetts. Yep. This isn't just a random rhyme. It has connection to us. But, like, I don't I don't think there's pride as <laughs> as you would imply. All right, I don't even know about... any. I don't know if any school mascots is the Lizzie Bordens, but God, I hope so. <laughs> Girls across. <laughs> uh, so since Renata lives here now, uh, prior to doing this episode, the four of us actually took a trip down to Fall River, the actual house that Lizzie Borden and her family lived in, is now a bed and breakfast and a historical place, historical marker place. Uh, in Fall River, and they do tours, and they also do overnight stays, which, more on that later. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we took a day, and we went down, and we did the tour, and learned all sorts of interesting stuff about what actually happened, uh, including that this was the first... Crime scene photos. The first crime scene photos in America, and the second crime scene photos ever, with the first first crime scene photos ever being the Jack the Ripper case. So there's some trivia for you. Keep that in your brain for the next time you're at Trivia Night. We did not at the house, however, learn about lesbians. We did not. Which we, came, no. we were banking on, to be honest. We came very close at the end, but it just veered off. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm not from here, but I definitely knew about Lizzie Borden before coming here. I mean, I guess on the off chance, if you don't know who she is, she, question mark, murdered her parents with an axe? But actually was not found guilty of that. Yeah, I'm also not from here, but I had heard of her. Like, you all knew the rhyme, right? Like, yeah. Like, that's for me yeah. enough of the world. <laughs> I knew the rhyme, and I knew that she was in that one episode of The Simpsons on the jury of the damned. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Although, yeah. I, I will say... So- and I'll talk more about this in Reader's Advisory a little bit, but uh, I would book talk. There's a young adult nonfiction book about Lizzie Borden that I would book talk. 
And I used to start it with like, you guys all know the rhyme. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her father 40 wax. And they were all like, what? No. So the rhyme (laughs) maybe has fallen out of favor with the youth of America. (laughs) Gosh. But yeah, uh, like like we were saying, if you're not familiar, it was a big deal. Uh, Her father and stepmother were murdered and... A lot of the evidence seemed to point to her, but other things didn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, It was also during the time period where people didn't think women were capable of crimes like that, uh, which kind of played in her favor in the end. Because it it was such a gruesome and grisly murder. Yeah. Um, I believe, I can't remember the number that our tour guide said, but she didn't actually hit either of them 40 times, but it was a lot of times, or whoever did it. Didn't actually do it 40 times, but they did do many chops with a hatchet, and it was pretty grisly. Uh, they have, we're, we're going to post some pictures, we're going to do a little blog post about our whole thing, and um, we have some pictures of, like, the actual autopsy photos, and then they did recreations of Mr. and Mrs. Borden's skulls and what they looked like after a hatchet was taken to them, and... There was some pretty there was some pretty heavy wax done to them. <laughs> not dainty lady murder wax. No. <laughs> but Lizzie Borden was not a dainty lady. <laughs> <laughs> no la- dainty ladies exist apparently according to this book except for Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was a whole big thing. It was a big trial. In the end she was exonerated by the law, but like she was an outcast in Fall River and she and her sister used their inheritance to like buy this big house and her sister eventually left because she was a lesbian because Lizzie was a lesbian, not because her sister was a lesbian. Her sister didn't approve of Lizzie's lesbianism or so we can infer from history. And uh, yeah, I do like the bold move of like, gosh, well, things are terrible in Fall River. Let's move to another house in Fall River. <laughs> Maybe but like a nice one with running yeah, water. I mean, it is. It's very nice. I don't know if it's for sale again. That one also, they tried to turn it into a bed and breakfast, but they couldn't get it zoned. And it was recently like, oh, well, now what do we do with this? <laughs> Which, as Becca pointed out when we were coming home from the original house, why would you stay there when the murder house yeah. is right down the street? Like, I'm going to stay at the house when the murders didn't happen. What? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Historical fiction ish, not, I mean, it is fiction novelization of what happens before the murders the murders are like the last thing that happened in the book so it's the months leading up to them and what a fucking wild ride this was (laughs) it was it was a book for certain (laughs) it was full of pov switches which i did not expect Mm -hmm. and then like not necessarily always ones that made sense it was mainly Lizzie, but then sometimes it was her dad, and then there was one chapter that was her stepmother, and then inexplicably at the end, wasn't there one chapter that was Sarah, her stepmother's sister, or like half a chapter? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was it, her POV for a minute. Yeah, it switched to Sarah to give, I guess, exposition for why her husband was angry, maybe? <laughs> yeah, who knows? It was so weird. Yeah. Um, but I guess I guess we'll get into it. Well, before, I just was, how did you hear about this book? Where did this book come from? Um, When a mommy book and a daddy book. (laughs) So there's a, Becca and I watch all sorts of shit on Netflix, and there was a Lizzie Borden um, movie 
that was on with Christina Ricci and someone else. Clea Duvall. Clea Duvall. They're my readers in It is like so many lesbians. Inexplicably, Christina Ricci and Clea Duvall playing sisters, not lesbians. I don't know what anyone was thinking. Yes. <laughs> Clearly uh, not a movie made by anyone who lived through the 90s. Yes. <laughs> so we watched it one day and over the course of it we looked up Lizzie Borden on Wikipedia because that's what happens in our house yep. when things on television pique our interest we go on Wikipedia spirals or Murderpedia spirals yes. depending on what we're watching <laughs> um, and on the Wikipedia page there was a list of like Lizzie Borden and popular culture and one of them was like Lizzie Borden, a novel by Elizabeth Engstrom, where it's posited that Lizzie kills her father because of a lesbian affair she was having. And I was like, this sounds like something we should read for the podcast. <laughs> Great. It has all the magic words. <laughs> lesbian. Uh, so we did. And we, I think that was like this time last year. So we kind of like yeah, put probably. a pin in it for this year around Halloween and uh, decided we would go down to Fall River since we all lived here now and check it out and kind of do a whole thing with it, which we we did. Yeah. So that's that's how that's how we got here, guys. That's how the sausage gets made. <laughs> <laughs> or the soy riso, if you will. <laughs> uh yeah, so this book. This very weird book. It's so weird. And we read a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. Like, it tried so hard to be historical in so many ways and account for so many things that are, like, just weird things that are surrounding the murder. Like, I mean, let's let's get right into it with Lizzie's menstrual rags. Right. Because yeah. they, they hit so hard on it so early in the book. They keep talking about how, like, oh, she has her menses, and then she has this bucket of menstrual rags in the basement. But it's never brought up in the book like, it's just there. And it's like, why are we hitting on this so hard if it's not relevant? But it's relevant to the case, I guess. You were talking about this, Renata, in the document. Yeah, um, because it was, uh, like, in the trial or whatever, it was like, oh, well, did, was there blood on your dress or was it paint or, like, what? Um, I forget all of the details, but basically she was like, well, yeah, sometimes there's blood on my stuff, but it's because of, like, my menstrual blood. And then, like, I want to say that the bucket itself was, like, pointed at. I don't think it was, like, brought in because, like, you know, delicate sensibilities and all. But, like, somehow it came into play that way as, like, oh. Oh, there were also, yeah, the article you linked said that there was, like, evidence hidden in the bucket. But, like, police won't look there because why would they touch Lady Menstrual? Yeah, (laughs) and they brought the the maid in to, to talk about it. And she said that she hadn't noticed there being rags in the bucket prior to the murder because she would have cleaned them. But then, like, yeah. It's just weird. Well, but yeah, we'll link to is... this other thing. But anyway, sure. so it is sort of relevant. But then because the book ends with the murder and it never gets to the trial or anything, it's just like all this weird bloody buildup for no payoff. Which is a lot of this book. It's just including things where if you did not know the details and like weird kind of apocryphal details that necessarily aren't part of the main story, then it's just weird things that it's talking about. And you're like, but why? Which I don't feel is a good move for a book necessarily. <laughs> yeah, like either it's um, funny. So we recorded, we're recording this episode out of order. We're going to talk a lot about 
um, the difference between writing a historically accurate but not necessarily interesting book and a historically accurate but well-written book a lot in two weeks. So set your calendars for that, guys. (laughs) Uh, But that's also relevant here, um, where she is leaning very hard into the historical details in certain places, but in such a way that they conflict with things in the actual story. And I feel like if she had just gone whole hog fiction, making shit up, it would have maybe been bad. It it would be hard. It would be hard to save this book. (laughs) Yeah. She leans so hard on the, on the details, but then the crux of this book is this self-help book she's reading that as far as we can tell, doesn't exist. If it did, it doesn't necessarily teach the things this book seems to think it taught and had nothing to do with it. But that's the thrust of this book is Lizzie read this self-help book and that's why these murders happened. And by yeah. self-help book, we mean cult. She yeah, joined it's a mail-order cult. Yeah. Mail-order cult. It was, it's the same thing. Yes. Before we jump into the cult, which I desperately want to, um, <laughs> yep. this is something I felt with Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, though not to this extent, where I felt like, put some footnotes in here, put some endnotes in here, and then at <laughs> least you can be like, footnote, you know, the menstrual eggs were an important part of the trial, or like something like that. Yeah, this where, is why. <laughs> yeah, where it's like, even though... It's not maybe coming back up in the book. At least you're, like, learning a little bit. And maybe this is just, like, me being too nerdy for this shit. But I feel like... I I do feel like it would help if it had more footnotes. Or, like, any footnotes. Yeah, because there are definitely details that are in the book that aren't especially relevant. So it just makes the book feel kind of tedious. It's like, why is this happening here? But then it's like, oh, this is relevant to the Lizzie Borden trial. All right. Yeah, it, so so the book starts, we open with Lizzie uh, thinking about her pen pal, her probably sexy pen pal, although she hasn't come, awa- that part of herself hasn't been awakened yet. Um, she had gone to, and this, this is true, she had gone um, on a trip abroad in Europe and had uh, met this girl on the boat who was like beautiful and skinny, skinny's important, in this world, very important, even possibly more important than it is in our actual society, which is hard to believe. And she was wearing a beautiful peach dress and she was British and she talked to Lizzie and they instantly became like super close. And once Lizzie went back to America, they started a correspondence and they wrote back and forth like all the time obsessively. And she like constantly was thinking about like, oh, like, you know, Beatrice is so wonderful. She's so pretty and she looks so good in Peach. And I love her mouth for reasons that I can't really contemplate right now. Why? And all of this stuff. Um, And Lizzie gets these like debilitating migraine headaches and... Beatrice has sent her a book that she claims helped her immensely when she used to get sick. And it's a book of exercises and that Lizzie has to do them and she has to follow them to the letter and focus like super hard on them and don't like skip ahead. Don't skirt past them. Like she just needs to really subscribe to this lifestyle and her life would be better. And Lizzie is living with her father who once upon a time was maybe like loving and, and, and nice, but now is miserly and really like overly disturbingly clingy, does not want his adult daughters going places 
far away from him, especially Lizzie, because Lizzie, he thinks, is the only good thing in his life. Her stepmother, Abby, who's a fat, ugly whale who's so fat, and she's fat, and she eats cookies because she's fat, and she eats all sorts of things, and she just gets fatter, and she just is so fat, and it's disgusting. And she wants to take all the family money for, is it her her sister or her other daughter? Her sister. Her, her sister. Her sister, yeah. And then there's Emma, Lizzie's older sister, like 10 years older than her, who helped raise her, who is very commandeering. And I'm trying to think of how to describe her without using the word bitchy, because I don't like using that word to describe women. She's, go for it. I mean, she, like, she wants to, she acts like she's Lizzie's mom, but like a very strict, like, know-it-all mom. And also, she's maybe also in a cult or something. I couldn't... This is jumping ahead, but I don't know what Emma's doing in her free time, but it's something weird. I don't weird. think it was a cult. Yeah, yeah just, I don't think I it think it was either. just self-destructive behaviors of getting very drunk and then men having their way with her yeah. and also maybe beating her. <laughs> like, yeah. definitely beating her. She definitely had bruises repeatedly. Was she in Sexy Fight Club? <laughs> maybe. maybe. But Emma has. So we find out later that the original Mrs. Borden, she had anger issues and she had these same migraines that Lizzie gets and it seems that like Lizzie inherited the migraines and Emma inherited the anger issues and she just like goes in these rages against their father and how like he's fucking them over and how he's giving all the things to Abby the new Mrs. Borden and how um, he's not gonna look out for them and he doesn't love them and he doesn't trust them and just like constantly arguing and fighting a big point of contention is that he was going to leave their mother's old farm to Abby's sister in his will. And that was like their last connection to their biological mother. And it was very important to them. And they were very upset that he owns many properties, but this was the one he chose to leave her. And it seemed like a kick in the face so Emma's mad all the time, and Lizzie just wants to be Lizzie. But... Well, Lizzie just wants to be Lizzie, and she wants running water. Is a yeah, big point important. of contention. I can't, I can't falter that. No. Because <laughs> Andrew, the dad, is like, he's so cheap and so stingy, he won't let them pay to have running water installed, even though, like, all the other houses have it. And so that also, I think, is another reason why the menstrual rag bucket was, like, so hammered upon as just, like, a sign that, like, our house is gross, we don't have running water, we just have this bucket, and everyone else has, like, toilets. <laughs> and, like, in the book, like, you can see, like, obviously they, they say that Andrew Borden, like, was rich, but when we went to the house and they dropped the number, like, he, in in terms of our money, he was, like, a multimillionaire. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, there was, like, that kind of put it in perspective, because you never know when a book's like, yeah, they're rich, and everyone else has toilets, but we don't. And it's like, well, maybe they're not that rich, and they just think they're rich, or they should have been rich, or they were rich and lost. No, they were fucking loaded by a toilet. Yeah, Yeah. he definitely had toilet money. (laughs) 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 Um, Like, other, he also wouldn't let them buy more than, like, three new dresses, every season which like was bad for Lizzie because she kept putting on weight like a disgusting fat person who's fat and she needed to buy new dresses she couldn't wear her old dresses again 
after like a year because she was so much heavier. Um, so all this is going on. And like, that's basically like the bulk of the book is all of this going on all the time. So yeah, much. it was so weird and cyclical and just kept hitting the same points over and over again. Um, Lizzie gets this book from Beatrice and decides that she is going to set up like her own little study in the barn, uh, which is important to the actual Lizzie Borden story. Uh, if you're aware of it, where she just like put together essentially a little altar with all of the items. Like the book asks her to like light candles and stare into a mirror and repeat these chants and think these thoughts and meditate on this. And so she sets up like a little place in the barn to do it. And that makes Emma mad at her because she locks the door and Emma doesn't like the door being locked because she has a key to Lizzie's bedroom. So nothing else is ever locked to her. And she feels like Lizzie's keeping secrets she has a door to Lizzie's bedroom because the fucking house is fucking weird. Yeah. And she has to go through Lizzie's bedroom to get to her bedroom. The and house that's... was converted. This is true. It's not in the book. And it was but... very interesting and very helpful when we went to the house and I could see it because reading this book and hearing this references of how this house was set up, I was like, this house makes no sense. And then when we went there, you're like, oh, this house makes no sense, but I see how now. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like essentially they um, renovated the house and got rid of the hallways and turned them into bedrooms so there are when you go upstairs there's no hallways all of the bedrooms are connected to each other by doors so like for emma to get to her bedroom she went up the stairs went into lizzie's bedroom then went into her bedroom which was inside lizzie's bedroom and yet and then lizzie's bedroom also has a door that leads to the master bedroom but that was they they separated it they blocked it off that door was never used so you could only get to the master bedroom or the servants quarters in the attic through this separate back kitchen stairwell it's a very weird house yes there are like two stairwells up and one of them goes to three bedrooms and one of them goes to the master bedroom the study and the servants quarters and because the door between Lizzie's bedroom and the master bedroom is locked, you can't get to... It is very weird. It is a weird house. <laughs> anyway. Look at pictures of it online or something because it is hard to describe, but it's fucking weird. Gosh, okay. What else happens in this book? Lizzie gets obsessed with this book. Like, she starts doing it and doing as she's told, and she's supposed to, like, repeat this thing every day in the mirror for 30 days, and she gets... Even though Beatrice was like, don't look ahead, she kind of starts looking ahead, and then she decides, what if I just do all the exercises every day? Like, as as I get to them in the book, so, like, this thing that she was supposed to do for 30 days, she keeps doing that on top of the next set of exercises, so, like, she's full-time, like, just being in a cult at this point. Yes. Yeah. And also ends up masturbating a lot when she's doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I mean, yeah, like, hey, you finally established a study where, like, no one can bother you. Yeah, go, like, get off in the loft of the barn. But there's a lot of fur- fur- furiously masturbating yeah. while also <laughs> masturbating furiously while she <laughs> thinks about everyone dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah that <laughs> happens a bunch of times. Um, so si- simultaneous to this study... She is invited over to the house of her, like, a friend from church. And she goes over and realizes, like, half an hour into dinner that, like, this woman wants to have sex with her. And she's like, 
okay, cool. Like I'm in. I had not previously thought that this was an option, but now that it's presented to me, like, let's go for it. Uh, so they do. And that becomes like a whole secret relationship that they have. Uh, but it's very contentious because this girl, Catherine, it kind of runs hot and cold. Uh, Lizzie is a member of the temperance committee in town. And so is this woman, but this woman does drink, which Lizzie hates drinking because of her sister, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, so this woman, Catherine thinks Lizzie's kind of a prude. Uh, she finds out this woman has another lover who she likes better than Lizzie and all of that. So that's, also happening it also felt very like old hat lesbian versus new lesbian of like yeah i'm really used to this i'm into like casual sex and lizzie like has sex with her and is like i am in love with her we this is she is perfect i need to do we need to have sex all the time i want to be with her all the time gotta get the and, 1890s version of a u-haul and, <laughs> <laughs> and Catherine's just kind of like yeah it's okay we can have sex once in a while where I, I got other things going on well, and also it brings it brings up all of Lizzie's other insecurities because Catherine at one point is called tiny comma small. Like Catherine's <laughs> very like dainty and thin and beautiful, and Lizzie's like fat and ugly. And Catherine is rich and has running water and like blah blah her blah. Her own house, which her, like Lizzie and, and Emma are both like we would like we are grown women who would like our own house, but her their father won't let them move out. Yeah, so there's all of that going on as well. And then, so sometimes Catherine, like, will rub that in and say, like, oh, Lizzie, like, you shouldn't eat between meals and, like, stuff like that also. Yeah. So we were talking about Emma and why Lizzie doesn't like to drink. When Emma goes into these rages, she goes away to New Bedford for... Like, two weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. And when we were at the Lizzie Borden house, like, Emma did go to New Bedford but as far as we learned there, like, she did actually have friends there. Like, in the sex book, cult friends. <laughs> in the book, like, we discover that Emma claims she stays with friends, but actually she checks into a hotel under an alias and then, like, blackout drinks. And she doesn't ever remember what happens while she's there. But, like, essentially, she, like, goes to bars, drinks a lot, has sex with men, gets the shit beat out of her every time and then comes home like emaciated and beat to shit and needs to spend two weeks in bed recuperating. So that's a thing. It's yeah. just like, why? Yeah. Um. So Lizzie does not like drinking because of that. Fair enough. Yep. I can understand that. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Mr. Borden, who is disgusted by his wife because she's fat, in case you didn't get that from the 900 references to how fat she is and how much she likes eating cookies. One of my notes for this book say, it's like an Amish book and that desserts are always being described, but then it makes me feel bad for wanting the desserts instead of like actually <laughs> wanting the desserts. <laughs> Basically. Uh, so he he's got this very weird... He's just fucking weird. Yeah. yeah. He does not seem to like Emma at all. And he likes Lizzie too much, but not in the too much way that you're thinking. Like he, there's a point where he's taking a ride in a carriage to collect rent from his tenants. 
and he like thinks about how Lizzie used to come with him and he immediately feels guilty for the things he would do to her on that ride. So you're like, oh shit. But it turns out like the things he would do to her would be like while she was asleep next to him, he would tell her about how he's going to get old and decrepit one day and that she had to take care of him and that he was going to make sure that she had all the things she wanted in life and she could never leave him. And that was like the unforgivable sin that he committed when she was a child. So that was a whole other weird thing. But he, um, one day, there's a woman in his church who he... She needs a ride. She needs a ride. Yeah. Yeah. She I thought thought that it was that she worked at the law office that he sometimes went to because she went to Lizzie's church. That's right. Yes. Um, She worked at the law office because her husband is dead and her sons are away at college, so she needs to pay for tuition. And one day he asked, she asks if she can borrow a driver and cart from him so that she could go somewhere for something. And he's had, like, a thing for her for a while, and he's like, oh, no, like, I'll take you. And he does. And once they get out in the country, she's like, oh, like, let's stop and stretch our legs and like have sex in the grass so they do and she says like listen uh my sons are in college and it's expensive and i need a hundred dollars a week for us to keep having sex and he's like done (laughs) he's like how dare okay (laughs) (laughs) and it and it really is like as she doesn't say having sex but it's like so business-like and such a like efficient scheme it's very yeah, well it's done. Really, like I, I can't falter for it because yeah. it's mm-hmm. so well done. Where she's just like, "Cool, could I get a hundred dollars too?" And he's like, I, "What?" And she's like, "Yeah." And like, you know, if you just kept giving me a hundred dollars, this could still happen. Yeah. Also, I, I want to jump back because Lindsay brought up another point we hadn't mentioned, which is to get some time away from her goddamn parents. Lizzie did join a different church because, like, her dad would humiliate her at church, which is really weird. So she joins this other church separate from her family. And then this brings in for, like, I don't know, no real reason, just some, like, casually racist business about her, like, educating Chinese students. Yeah, that is brought up just kind of randomly and goes nowhere. She's like, oh, I'm educating the Oriental people. Like, all right. (laughs) And it's weird, too, because half the time they do say Chinese. So it depends on who's talking. Because it was it? the POV switch. Okay. There's only, yeah. like, I think Emma once refers to them as Chinese, but I think everyone else refers to them as the Oriental children. Yeah. So, I mean, at least Emma's learning something out in New Bedford. <laughs> right. <laughs> but also, I think Emma was also the one, because there was some other comment, I can't remember what it was, of like, yeah, and Lizzie teaches Sunday school to the Chinese kids. I didn't even know Chinese kids could read, or like, didn't oh, even it was, know they knew. She what... didn't know that Chinese kids could be Christian. There we go. Yeah. It was something so weird. It was yeah. like, oh, oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, sure, you know, period, typical racism, whatever, but it has nothing to do with no. anything. Why is it in here? No. Lizzie did teach Sunday school, and I think probably that obviously, like, plays into part of, like, well, she's a good girl, and Lizzie couldn't do a murder. She teaches Sunday school. But, yeah, it was so weird how they hit on that and made sure everyone called these Chinese kids Oriental. Yeah. Yeah, there was also, like, the casual racism with... um her father where he's going to collect the writs and he's like oh yeah the irish and the italians are all like garbage people so 
<laughs> they do this thing too where they introduce like all of these dangling plot threads that are like maybe this is what kills the Borden family because there's uh one of the one of his tenants like they all wake up one morning because he's come to the house and is like banging on the door and shouting at her father because of some money thing either he I don't even remember what it was oh, but it was it was that the tenant was I think had a shop and had wine in it and then her father took the wine away right because he had said that you could sell anything you want except alcohol yeah so he like wakes up the whole neighborhood and like is like violent and everyone in the house is afraid that like one day he's gonna come in and like hurt them because apparently like people have threatened he or maybe he is threatening to do that and then there's another thread where abby's sister's husband is so mad that they they just won't give them money (laughs) yeah they won't give them money and they won't give them the house and he's like look if your sister dies before mr borden then mr borden's just going to give all of his money to his daughters so the only way we can ensure that we get that house is to make sure that he's dead first basically this book posits that every single person wanted to kill andrew borden which could be true yeah it's like clue (laughs) (laughs) but like it also gives us a definitive answer in the book's timeline the book story of who kills them so it just seems strange that it's in introducing all of these like this person hated him enough to kill him this person also hated him enough to kill him who actually did it so lizzie is doing all of her like mental exercises and one of the exercises is that you need to like picture your angry self picture your prideful self picture your lustful self picture and she begins to realize that when she's doing this exercise, her other self is actually coming out of her body and doing things. Like she starts to remember pacing around her parents' bedroom at night, but she also, like while she also has a very strong memory of being in her own bed, and we get in some of the point of view switch chapters, like we get Mrs. Borden and Emma feeling like there's a presence pacing around their room, but they're looking and they don't see anything. And she, Mrs. Borden has a bunch of money and jewels stolen from her and they're found in the barn. And everyone thinks Emma did it because Emma fucking hates her so much. But Lizzie a couple days later actually remembers when channeling her angry self, like going into the room and taking the things So, yeah, like, she starts to be able to astral project her other selves. Yeah. You know. Like you do. Mm -hmm. I can't believe they didn't touch upon this in the tour. I know. Maybe that's in the overnight tour. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I guess the one other plot thread is that after Catherine dumps Lizzie... Lizzie starts to notice this beautiful woman with short hair who dresses in men's clothing in her church and like has like a huge crush on her and eventually is like invited over for dinner and she has one of her headaches so she can't even have dinner like she immediately this woman puts her to bed and she like wakes up in bed with her the next morning and is that what she says I love you for the first time? I think so. And this woman is 
Enid, yes. who is the woman who was, you know, having an affair with her father and getting paid for it. Yes. Also, Enid has a hoarder house, and I love it so much. <laughs> every time she has to move all these newspapers and magazines off every chair, and she's just hanging out in her men's trousers, and I'm like, you are goals, Enid. I'm here for it. She also has, like, a fancy bathroom yep. with running water and, like, all sorts of fancy, nice-smelling soaps that Lizzie avails herself of several times. Um, yeah, so she's, like, super in love with this woman, Enid, and Enid, like, is super in love with her, too, but wracked by guilt because she is having this affair with Lizzie's father uh, and another man, too, for money. And eventually, like, Lizzie finds out Enid tells her. Enid tells her. Enid tells her she's having sex with men for money and explains why she's doing it. And Lizzie's kind of like, okay. And then she finds out another way, and I can't remember how. It's from the will when Mm. Emma opens it, and they're talking about, like, oh, he's leaving something to his whore, and then they see the whore's name, and it's Enid. And Enid also comes over. Oh no, she comes over because Lizzie's sick, and that's when Andrew starts feeling threatened slightly by her. Andrew's always feeling threatened. Well, sure. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, um, I mean, I didn't do like a deep scholarly research, but I did some light googling. It doesn't seem like Enid is a real person. Yeah, I would not be surprised by that. I don't think, I mean, yeah, like, the only person who's ever mentioned uh, with Lizzie in terms of, like, a lesbian relationship is, was it Nance O'Neill, who was an actress in, possibly in New Bedford, I think, that, like, yeah, Lizzie fell in with these theater people and went to all their raging parties, as theater people have, and then also maybe kiss some girls. Yes. Like you do (laughs) when you're with theater people. It's fine. Um, So they... They all all of this comes to a head and everyone in the house except Lizzie gets sick from. So in in reality, uh, it was summer and they like had had let the stew sit out and everyone got food poisoning. And yeah, Andrew, like this is in reality, Andrew was so cheap that they just can like they kept eating things until it was gone. But they just kept leaving things out and were like, okay, we'll just reheat this stew from yesterday and eat it again, which, you know, sound practice. Um, so they all got food poisoning, and this is the thing that happened in real life, like, everyone except Lizzie, because Lizzie didn't eat with them that night, got food poisoning, and, you know, it was awful, and it was just food poisoning, because for a while, Lizzie at one point, well, in the book, she sends her other self to go buy arsenic, and the druggist won't sell it to her because she doesn't have a prescription. In reality... Lizzie maybe went to buy arsenic. No one's really sure because there were like dozens of people named Borden in town and the druggist knew that Miss Borden had come in but didn't know which Miss Borden it was. So there was like this speculation that she had poisoned them but the doctor was like, no, it was definitely food poisoning. Like it was not. That looks a totally different type of poisoning. But in the book, maybe she poisoned the milk? I didn't get that. There's, like, a point where she, like, sees her other self taking the milk out of the the icebox, and she, like, dawning horror that she had poisoned her oh, family. I don't remember that bit. But I don't know how or why, because she didn't actually get the arsenic. Also, by the way, here's a plot thread that I thought would come back, and it didn't really. Is like, 
you know, Beatrice is the beautiful woman who she met abroad and who sent her this, like, weird cult book, and she's been corresponding with her throughout the book, and then Beatrice is coming to America, and then she's coming to Massachusetts, and maybe they're gonna meet up, but then Lizzie kind of blows her off because she's with Enid, I think? And then Beatrice leaves and goes back to Europe, and we never hear from her again. Yeah, part of it was, like, her obsession with the book is she's like, I have to be my best self for Beatrice when she comes. I only have a month. We have to get this house looking baller. We got to get a toilet in here. I have to lose weight. I have to be strong and confident and able to wear peach before Beatrice comes. And then she doesn't, like, achieve that. And so she's just like, hey, Bridget slash Maggie, because no one can remember that their old maid left and they have a new maid now with a new name. So they all just call her the old maid's name, which is amazing and awful. Please just tell Beatrice when she comes that I'm not here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She does. So we're all leading up to this Beatrice visit that like never comes to anything. Well, part of it is also she sends her other self out to get acid to clean a seal skin cape so that it will be, like, beautiful when Beatrice comes. And then and then she doesn't get it, so she doesn't clean the cape. And, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that happened that I wanted to mention, because it was just so kind of weird, when she's having this affair with Catherine and, like, they get together and have dinner and then fuck a lot, and then at one point she comes over to the house and Catherine has two men there and Lizzie is like, oh my god, did she just, like, set up a double date for us? This is fucking awful. I don't want to be here with these two men. And it's very clear to the reader that these two men are together and, like, Catherine's like, let me introduce you to some fellow queer people. And then, like... Eventually, it dawns on Lizzie, and she is appalled by the idea of these two men together, despite being like, Catherine, can these two men leave so we can bone? And it's so weird. And Catherine just wants them to all go to New York together and have a good time, and Lizzie's just done. She can't. She's out. Yeah, she's, like, really grossed out about it, and then also like, how does that even work? (laughs) (laughs) She didn't have the internet, okay? Oh, I know, right? I mean, I can understand being confused. Yeah, but then, like, Catherine goes to visit them with her other lady lover, but then that's kind of it. Cynthia Miller or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so I was just gonna say that um, the Bridget Maggie thing with the maid, that's true. That was real life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, We learned about that at the museum. What a bunch of assholes. <laughs> also, it's weird. Irish maids all look alike. <laughs> It's weird because Bridget was, like, a term that was sort of, like, used in, like, um, interchangeably with, like, Irish girl. Like, you could... Mm -hmm. But the maid's name actually was Bridget, but they called her Maggie. (laughs) I loved every POV from the maid. It was just, like, these fucking people. She's the only normal one in the book. Yes. And, you know, based on what we've learned, the only normal one in the house in reality, too. Yeah. Yeah. So the end of the book is that uh, Lizzie's like pissed at everyone and she is like feels doomed and like stuck in the house forever and Beatrice left and like everything's the worst. So she astral projects her angry self to murder her stepmother and then her father and that's the end of the book. Yep. What a fucking weird book. Yeah. (laughs) It was... It was, that was a ride. And I feel like this could have, I don't know. Like, I feel like it could have worked. Yeah. Maybe. I feel like in, if you cut out half of the weird plot lines. Like, you had to pick, I feel like you had to pick one. Either, like, make a fictional lesbian 
or make this fictional astral projection book. <laughs> like, you yes. went in many directions. Or if you were going to do, like, fictional lesbian and astral projection, like, make it, like, a fucking lesbian witch cult. Not just, yeah, just yeah. go off the deep end with it. Which, yeah. again, the Lizzie Borden... <laughs> I'll talk about it later again, but I can't stress enough how weird and amazing this made-for-TV movie was, which is called Lizzie Borden Took an Axe. But then they also made a, a series out of it called the Lizzie Borden chronicles in which like they just go off the rails lizzie literal literally murders someone every single episode just to keep cleaning up her own messes and also to get a dog it's amazing <laughs> it like it just so you need to like commit either yeah. either write yeah. a historical novel or write fucking nonsense that is loosely based on the idea of lizzie borden yeah instead of just trying to combine both of them which yeah. is a lot it's a too many cook scenario it's too many bridgets in the kitchen (laughs) one of like the first reviews that are on is on goodreads is some woman being like i learned so much from this book i was like did you though what did you learn about the case from this book are you sure it's true well she learned about all her other selves (laughs) oh man I learned about my angry goods reviewer self. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny to me, too, that there are, like, things that happened around the case that I think were interesting that weren't mentioned at all or were very quickly, like, brushed over. Because there was their uncle, the girl's uncle, was coming to town to stay during all of this. And he's, like, a footnote. It's like, oh, uncle's coming, so there's no one... So Bridget can't stay with us because he's in the guest room. Or Beatrice can't stay with us. Beatrice can't stay with us because he's in the guest room. It was like she finally decided, she was like, wait, I was was accounting for all the facts that exist, like the menstrual bucket. Hang on, I have to account for this uncle who was also there, so he's there. Yeah, there's just... It was was weird. What a weird book. (laughs) The end. Cool, cool, cool. Are we ready for some dramatic readings? Sure. If we must. <laughs> we must. <laughs> right. The first one is going to introduce you to the whole pathways concept, which again, does not seem to be a real thing. But if it were a real thing, I think you could really learn how to do it just from reading the Lizzie Borden book, because we get a lot of mm-hmm. it. And uh, Becca will play Lizzie. Abby was busy with Maggie doing the spring cleaning, so nobody noticed, really, when Lizzie left by the back door. Even so, she stopped at the barn door to make sure she was going in unseen. I'll have to get a latch for the door, she thought, so it can be locked from the inside. Then she climbed up the ladder, which always made her feel like a man, and began to rearrange. When everything was in its place up in the hayloft, it looked like a shrine. Lizzie stepped back to the edge of the loft and surveyed her new room. It did look like a shrine, like an altar, with pathways, the Beatrice book, lying on the center of the overturned crate like a Bible. The book. The marvelous book. Even though it admonished her not to, Lizzie had read ahead a few of the exercises. All harmless. All, in fact, seemed a little bit ridiculous, just like the one she had performed with the candles in the mirror. But she had faith that Beatrice would not steer her wrong. Each exercise was to be done for a full 30 days, so she was still only on the second exercise. Her letters to Beatrice were full of questions. Who wrote this book? Why? Who publishes it? How is it distributed? Can I buy copies? Why is it so mysterious? What will the end result be? And Beatrice, cool, with her written British accent, so clear in Lizzie's head, told her to mind her lessons, and more understanding would eventually come. 
But cool as she may seem, as regards Lizzie's strict adherence to the rules governing the lessons, she was overwhelmingly pleased that Lizzie was such an ardent student. The first exercise was nothing more than two paragraphs to be read aloud three times a day for 30 days. Within each individual resides many others. Your personality is made up of an infinite number of facets, continually turning and twinkling in the ever-present light of life. When we take control of our lives, we design the patterns of light. We line up the personality facets to accomplish that which we were born to do. I now claim that which is divinely mine. I claim absolute control over each fragment of my personality to be strengthened through purposeful, conscious unity. I now will that the divine power which motors the universe now deed me the control over my own destiny. I now claim that I, and no other, am the architect of my future. I now command my rightful, unique place in the order of all material. So it is, so it shall be. This was written with Lizzie in mind, she was sure. She'd never read anything like it before. It reminded her that she was responsible for her own emotions, attitude, and future. It mentioned God, and it seemed to suggest a spiritual way of life, both of which Lizzie approved. And when Lizzie read the passage aloud, especially the I now claim part, her heart pounded, and it felt to her as if it really meant something. She hoped it wasn't wishful thinking. Now, nah, girl, it's a cult. <laughs> <laughs> it's the secret, and it works. <laughs> I didn't read the secret. Is there that much masturbating? It's implied. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing I meant to mention, and I don't think there was any in this section, but like the Kindle version of this book had so many typos and it was a mess. It was a mess. I felt like especially at the beginning, it seemed like there were a ton. The beginning just had numbers in the middle of words at times. And I was like, (laughs) did no one look at this? You didn't even run spell check. Which is funny, too, because there's a an author's note at the end where the author is like, when they approached me to do a digital copy of this book that I wrote 20 years ago, I was a little scared to, like, reread something that was so old. But, like, in the end, I'm so glad that we did it. And there were a few edits, but they're all for style, not for content. Yeah, the style and, being like, adding numbers. Yeah, <laughs> did, did you really? Did you really edit it? Oh, my God. <laughs> Because I I read the print version from the library, and it's literally falling apart. <laughs> um, I wonder. It didn't seem to have any typos in it. Just like fucking weird stuff. I wonder what changes there were, aside from typo editing. That's true. You read a different version than us. I didn't even think of that. And yet we all had the same conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> As in what the fuck? Yes. <laughs> All right, so our next dramatic reading is going to be uh, Lizzie and beautiful, tiny, small Catherine, who's so skinny and small and tiny. Yep. And I am going to be Lizzie, and Renata is going to be Catherine, the closest thing that we have to, like, a shady male love interest in this book. (laughs) Hey, baby. (laughs) (laughs) They talked about Europe and compared notes on what they had seen in common. And as Catherine poured a fresh cup of tea, her hand touched Lizzie's and it stayed there. Lizzie was surprised at how warm it was, how soft and warm, and without thinking, she took Catherine's tiny hand in both of hers. Emma's hands were harsh and bony. Abby's hands were fat and bloated. Father's hands were horny and hairy. This perfect, this little perfectly manicured hand was warm and gentle, tender. 
Lizzie turned it over to look at the palm, ran a finger down the center of it. And when she looked up, Catherine had a most peculiar look in her eyes. The expression on Catherine's face reminded Lizzie of days long ago when she would sit in the window seat at the farm and look out the window, dreaming of things to be when she finally became an adult. She longed to be a housewife with a dozen children. She longed to have a protector, a provider, one she could kiss and hug, one she could sleep next to on a cold night. She longed to make her own decisions and not be driven instead by a ruthless older sister. She longed... That was the expression in Catherine's eyes, longing. Lizzie flushed and looked again at the tiny hand she held in her own. Lizzie? Catherine spoke so softly that even in the silent room, Lizzie was not sure she had heard her. She was suddenly shy and almost afraid. Her heart pounded louder than Catherine's tiny word. Eventually, she looked up into that beautiful face, and Catherine's lips were gently parted and she moved closer and closer until Lizzie could smell her hair as well as see right through it, and she could smell the closeness of Catherine, freshly bathed and powdered. She could smell Catherine's breath, warm, scented with tea and cinnamon, and then Catherine's lips were on her own, soft, so soft. Then she was gone, and Lizzie found her eyes closed, so she opened them and saw Catherine, who was flushed and laughing, both of them embarrassed, and the small hand slid out from between Lizzie's and helped the other hand hold the trembling teacup. But that wasn't right. It wasn't something to be laughed at. It was something to be explored. Once was not enough. Lizzie had to taste that again. She had to know that feeling, that sensation that had burst upon her senses and then fled before she really knew what happened. She moved closer to Catherine on the settee, feeling like an elephant trying to capture a mink. But Catherine was all too ready to be captured, and their kiss this time was lingering and sensitive. Lizzie's mind reeled. She could feel her pulse in her panties. She wanted to get closer to Catherine, closer and closer still, until they were of one body. With the hand that seemed to have a mind of its own, she pulled the pins from Catherine's hair and fluffed it as it fell around her face. She broke off the kiss and stared into the other woman's eyes, eyes that held love and desire. Lizzie had never seen that before in anyone's eyes, and it was hypnotic. It was intoxicating. She felt overheated. She felt foolish for wearing such warm weather clothes on such a balmy spring evening. You are so beautiful. Catherine breathed, and Lizzie was sure she had heard wrong. Again, she neared Catherine, brushing her nose along Catherine's cheek, taking in her perfume. But their positions were not right. They were both uncomfortable on the settee. And Catherine kissed Lizzie lightly on the lips, then stood, holding her hand, and guided her through the house to the bedroom at the back. And there, she proceeded to tenderly undress Lizzie, and then bed her, showing her the fascinating ways one woman can love another. Fade to black. <laughs> Even Catherine's word is tiny. <laughs> Jeez. So our last dramatic reading is when Lizzie sends her other self out to the druggist to pick up this prussic acid arsenic shit to quote-unquote clean her cape or whatever. <laughs> and Lindsay will be Lizzie, I will be Emma, and Renata will be the druggist. 
Perhaps I'll just send one of my other selves out with the cape, she thought, mirth clearly on her mind. And then the day was unusually bright and she was walking down the street. It was blazing hot. It was so hot that nobody was out in the streets, nobody was in the sun. Shop doors were open, windows were open, women wore their house dresses in public because they would barely survive with corsets and stays. Lizzie walked jauntily down the street and she felt a smile on her face, a giggle just on the tip of her tongue. She was wearing the clothes she ruined this morning, and then she noticed that she hadn't ruined them. The skirt had paint splattered on it from the time she helped repaint the barn, so she hadn't ruined the clothes after all. They were the right ones to wear to the barn, but they were not the right ones to wear to town. She continued down the street, smiling, with an I-don't-care attitude, and she turned right into the drugstore. The weasel-faced man she'd seen and there before stood behind the counter. Good day, he said. She nodded at him, looking around at this and that. Then finally, with much self-control, she walked to the counter and said, I like to buy some prussic acid. Prussic acid? Whatever for? Lizzie had to turn away for a moment to keep the smile from breaking out on her face. She touched her fingertips to her mouth until she was sure she could do this without laughing. I want to clean a sealskin cape, she said, and she was sure she said it without a hint of mirth. I'm sorry, miss, but the druggist isn't in, and he would have to be the one to dispense prussic acid. I only need a small amount, Lizzie said. It isn't a very big spot. She wanted to go on about prussic acid being the only thing that could clean skins from Prussia, but it just became too much. I'm sorry, he said as she fled the store. Outside, in the sun, in the heat, it suddenly didn't seem so funny anymore. Lizzie splashed in the cold water and felt her muscles tighten. She wanted this other self, which one was it, anyway, to disappear. She wanted to be totally back in the cellar where she could be back in control. She wanted to dry off and get out of the tub. But the other self had other ideas as well, and the downtown Lizzie did not turn toward home, but instead strolled down the street toward Andrew Borden's bank. No, Lizzie in the tub thought, not Father's Bank. But the other Lizzie didn't go in, just walked past, smiling at everyone. She continued past the mill, taunting, it seemed, the Lizzie in the tub. And then she saw Emma. Emma, dressed in black, dressed shabbily in black, striding rapidly toward her. Emma, pinched face, hatchet sharp, stray hairs escaping the tight bun. Emma, all knees and elbows, rushing far too fast in this heat, headed straight for her. Lizzie, Lizzie, I say. And town Lizzie stood there and waited, small smile on her lips as Emma approached. Lizzie, get yourself home this minute and put on some decent clothes. Where are your gloves? I swear you have suffered a seizure in this heat. Get home right now and wait for me. I have news. Oh dear me, I have news. And Emma strode on down Main Street and Lizzie watched as she entered the law office. The town Lizzie did start down the street toward home and then disappeared. And Lizzie shivered with cold and fright from head to foot in the tiny tub down cellar. With great aching effort, she stood up and dried her wrinkled skin with the smelly towel. Then she dressed in a simple wrapper and went upstairs. The sitting room was empty. Sarah Whitehead had gone. She went to her room. Her door and Emma's door were both unlocked and open, the only time Lizzie had ever seen them so. Lizzie sat down in her rocker and rocked, sure of bad news as soon as, em soon as Emma returned. She was sure that bad news marched toward them from several directions. She rocked slowly and waited. 
Yeah. Yep. I too wish I could actually project itself to do errands, though. Yeah, that would be yeah. very helpful. Agreed. Especially when it's hot out. Yes. Oh. That would really put like seamless out of business. <laughs> <laughs> there was something that had popped into my head when we were doing the dramatic readings, but I don't remember what it was now, so it can't have been that important. All right. Maybe it will come to you as we play Would You Rather. Perhaps it will. Would you rather follow all of the exercises in Pathways or follow all the exercises in The Secret? I mean, we just established that Pathways lets you get another self to do errands. Yeah. I don't know what The Secret gets you, but like the opportunity to mistakenly use the word no. (laughs) (laughs) What you want because the universe doesn't understand the word no. Yeah, same. Like, yeah. I feel like while there's there's so many, as much as I love The Secret and it clearly works, hashtag The Secret works. The Secret works. <laughs> there, there's that, like, time delay, whereas if I had another self that I could project out there to do things for me, it would be much faster. So... Yeah, like, you gotta put a donut on your vision board and then wait how long, whereas, like, you could just be like, yo, yeah. angry <laughs> self demands some donuts. <laughs> well... How many murders are you guys going to accidentally commit, though? I mean, it won't matter, because I'll make sure that I do it when I'm, like, around other people who can say, like, no, like, she couldn't have committed that murder. She was giving a presentation at this conference. We all saw her. Also, I'm a lady and not capable of murder. Yes. Yeah, and Pathways is only a 30-day commitment. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, well, I, we're supposed to do, do each exercise for 30 days, and how many exercises were there? It could take a while. That's true. But you get to astral projection pretty quick, it seems. So. Yeah. <laughs> Already paying for itself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sticking with the secret, because I like the arts and crafts element of making your vision board. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about, would you rather have Emma Borden as your sister, or Jessica Wakefield from Sweet Valley High? Here is my question. Am I still me, or am I like Lizzie or Elizabeth? They're both, they have the same they name. They do have the same name. Um, <laughs> am I like them that yep. scenario? Um, well, Like, it's... do I become, like, meek and nerdy? Well, I'm already nerdy. But, huh. like, do I become, or am I just still Kate? Well, I think you're Kate, but you have that sister's influence in your life, so you're not unchanged. It's an AU of you. Yeah. So you're Valley High. Okay. <laughs> like, you're not Lizzie Borden, you're Kate, but I feel like Kate, who grew up with Emma Borden, you know, you might be different. Me, and no indoor plumbing. Like, you've me, got some anger. Let me slip into my Sweet Valley soda. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I feel like I would rather have Jessica Wakefield as my sister because while the Wakefields seem like they've got money, they seem a lot less stingy with it than the Bordens. Like, they're multimillionaires, but fucking Andrew is just... So in addition to having, like, a shrewish shrewish sister, I can't even buy my happiness with material goods. Whereas as a Wakefield, I think I could buy my happiness with material goods, despite the fact that I have a sister who probably would kill me at the drop of a hat to get out of trouble. I think what's interesting also is, like, we don't... Well, there was that one sequel, but, like, mostly we don't see Elizabeth Wakefield in adulthood. And I do, with all my heart, believe that as adults, the Wakefield twins probably murdered someone. (laughs) (laughs) So I I feel like it's really not that different, honestly. (laughs) 
But if you're if you're with Jessica Wakefield, you probably have to join a sorority. You have to do all this other stuff. I might. I think I'll stick with Emma Borden. Actually, I think I'd be a Wakefield because, like, I don't think I would have to join a sorority. I don't think she could make me. <laughs> <laughs> also, indoor plumbing. So yes, that's. I'll take it. Well, you know that house has central AC. Yeah. Yeah. The draw of indoor plumbing is pretty great. <laughs> And I feel like even if even if we're like making a modern AU of Lizzie Borden, like I feel like Mr. Borden is still like, why would we need central AC? Like that window unit you've had since 1962 is perfectly fine. Like we can't <laughs> spend more money. Like I, I feel like there are modern conveniences that he would not allow, even if we're talking like the Bordens in 2017. It's fair. Well, we'll just have to see it all, how it all plays out. All right, last up, would you rather eat dinner at Catherine Peters' house or eat at Steaks and Cakes, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle the movie that only serves steaks and cakes? And also our podcast sponsor. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I obviously, uh, you know, Catherine just did not seem like a very nice person or a very good girlfriend. So I would rather take like a good girlfriend to Steaks and Cakes where I could have steak and cake and also be, you know, supporting our beloved podcast sponsor. Give me that cake. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need Catherine telling me I should be eating between meals. I need a whole cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, girl. <laughs> All right. Lindsay, are you yeah. Also go with steaks and cakes. Just... I don't know. It described Catherine's cooking as being good, but I don't remember what she fed people. One of it was a a squab because Lizzie ate the whole squab and Catherine only ate half of it. Oh, (laughs) right. Anyway, in conclusion, steaks and cakes forever. Yes. (laughs) Patreon goal, we all get tattoos. (laughs) Oh, no. <laughs> no. No, that would never happen. But it was funny to say. Uh, <laughs> Jokes work. <laughs> uh, all right. And then um, one quick round of fucking, marrying, killing. Beatrice, Catherine, and Enid. Um, I would fucking Enid because she seemed good at sex. Mm-hmm. Both Lizzie and her father and this <laughs> other man that she was exploiting for money all seems very satisfied she's a professional (laughs) yes marrying beatrice because that felt like a real connection like she seemed to care about lizzie and also maybe she could like get me into this like weird lesbian cult where i could astral project and killing catherine because catherine just was not very nice a hundred percent same I would fucking marrying all of them and then kill my parents so they don't know about it. Whoa. <laughs> Game changer. I would also go the same as Renata and Kate. <laughs> all right. I guess let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we suggest books to read instead of or in addition to this one. So the one Lizzie Borden-related book that I would recommend is uh, Maplecroft by Sherry Priest. It is a Lovecraftian, eldritch horror sort of take on why Lizzie killed her parents and what's going on in Fall River. It takes place several years later uh, when she and Emma have been living in Maplecroft. It does involve her lesbian relationship with Nance O'Neill, uh, so that's a plus. And it was good. It was creepy. If you don't like 
creepy things from the ocean probably don't read it, so sorry, Renata, but everyone else. <laughs> but it, like, it was... stuck with historical lesbians, not brand new made-up lesbians, yes. and only went that one weird direction of tentacle horror. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was, it That's all was we very clear from the start that that was the direction that it was going. <laughs> like, you picked this book up, and you knew that it was about, like, there were tentacles right on there, so... <laughs> I mentioned this earlier. Uh, there's a young adult nonfiction book called The Borden Murders, colon, Lizzie Borden and the Trial of the Century by Sarah Miller. Uh, that is one that I read mostly so I could book talk it to junior high kids because they're bloodthirsty and I need to like constantly be telling them about murder. Um, it is interesting. It focuses more on like you know, the crime scene photos and the trial and just sort of, like, a there's a history of, like, early CSI-type stuff in there that's interesting if you're into that kind of thing. I'm I'm really not, which is, which is why I've never listened to the podcast My Favorite Murder, even though uh, people keep, like, weirdly comparing our podcast to them. I don't know why, because I won't listen to it, because I don't care about true crime. But if you do, I think it probably is a pretty good like take as far as I know it's pretty you know researched and accurate and whatever uh it because it it takes care to not make any conclusions it can't support so it kind of leaves it with you as like did she do it I don't know we don't know here's like a bunch of stuff about like uh how they fucked up the crime scene because the police like really fucked up the crime scene and all of that yeah, we learned a lot about that at the Lizzie Borden house. Yeah, so if you genuinely want to learn more about this, you don't care if there's lesbians in it, you just want some, like, facts, uh, the Borden murders, I guess, is fine. Um, as I mentioned, that amazing movie and uh, series, which it was really funny because I think in the end that's probably the only media I have consumed about Lizzie Borden other than, like, Wikipedia and articles, and it is funny how weird this book felt to me based on the characterizations that were in that because Emma is like very stern and concerned but not in an overbearing way and she is very focused on doing things properly in the right way and not upsetting anyone and Lizzie is just like let's fuck shit up like she is manipulative and it's wild it's so funny and literally she does kill someone every single episode of the Lizzie Borden Chronicles, just like that's how she deals with her problems. And it's amazing. (laughs) It's so good. There's also a book. I can't remember who wrote it. I'm sure we can look it up and put it in the show notes. I haven't read it yet, but it's been on my to read list since before it came out, came out in August. And I think it's called see what I have done, which is about obviously the Lizzie Borden murders. I don't know. I think it's like fictionalized, but not necessarily with any weird bent like tentacles or, astral projection but who knows <laughs> i'll read it and report back later <laughs> there's another upcoming book that i it comes out next year it's called lizzie by don ius who also wrote Anne and henry which is like the high school like the modern high school au of henry the eighth and anne boleyn and this is like a modern high school au of lizzie borden where from the synopsis, it seems like it has her in a queer relationship with Bridget the Maid. So Into it? Yeah. Right. We do rate all our books about Lizzie Borden about whether or not there's lesbians in them. Yeah. That's really all we seem to care about. It's, I mean, it's the best way to really, you know, track them. Uh, not Lizzie Borden related, but just because it's like Halloween episode time or whatever. 
some good scary books that I've read recently, which you might, if you're a Patreon donor, uh, you may recognize some of these from our newsletter where I talked about them. But uh, Daughters Unto Devils by, uh, by Amy Lukovics is a, somebody described it as like Little House on the Prairie if it was written by Stephen King. And I think that's a good summary. It is very creepy. There's all sorts of weird shit going on in it. And it was great. And it's a good one that'll like make you look twice when you hear noises in your bedroom at night. The Dead House by Don Hurtigich was a little weirder, but it was still very good. And it was still very atmospheric and creepy. And I liked that one a lot. And The Good House by Tananarive Du was also was much longer, but it definitely earned that length. And again, like lots of good world building, the magic and and spirits and stuff were very well supported in the narrative. And uh, it was very tense and good. I have one last quick rec I want to throw out, which is at the Lizzie Borden house, they have like the bookshelves, like since now it's also a and b it's just, it's not like... These are the books that were there when they lived here. It's just like, here's some books you might want to read when you're staying at our B&B. And so they have almost every book about Lizzie Borden. Although I, we didn't see this one, the Elizabeth Ingstrom one. But we did see a book that was just called, like in all caps, Oh, yikes! And it made <laughs> me laugh so much. And it was like one of those like gross things in history or whatever. But I just think, Oh, yikes! is a really good title for a book. <laughs> <laughs> and also they did have books there that were was owned by Lizzie, including uh, With Edged Tools, which was A+, plus, <laughs> that she has this book. And also When Ghost Meets Ghost Sounds Great by D.E. Morgan. Ooh. So we can just read some actual books that Lizzie read. All right, let's, um, we'll have all of these and maybe some other ones up on our website, worstbestsellers.com, under the Reader's Advisory post for this episode. And uh, now we'll move on to our candy pairing, where we'll suggest candy to go along with this book. Just like Catherine Miller might give you some wine with your meal, because she does not believe in the temperance movement. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So my candy pairing is melted banana saltwater taffy, because you get all excited thinking that it's lemon, and it's kind of like worth dealing with it, despite that it's like melty and sticky. But then it's gross, and it disappoints you. I did candy corn, which was historically accurate because it was just released about like a decade before the Borden murders. And, you know, it's popular in October, which is when spooky things like murders happen, obviously. (laughs) And like this book, it's just not worth it. It's garbage. (laughs) Don't do it. I went with Warheads because in the book, everything in the Borden house is kind of described as smelling sour and also extreme. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you should just eat a pear. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about the pears. I almost just put pears in my candy pairing and I thought someone else might. Um, I forgot about it until just now. Uh, instead for my candy pairing, I picked Swedish fish. Because another thing that we didn't talk about is... Lizzie and her father used to go fishing and she has like, there's a weird number of fishing related flashbacks. And then one of her like alibis for the murder was like, oh, I went to go get tackle for fishing or something. Anyway, so fish is the point. And then Swedish fish are like, I don't know, they're fine. It's not my favorite candy, but it's fine. And I, this book was weird, but I like enjoyed it overall just because it was so strange. Kept me on my toes, like a Swedish fish. (laughs) (laughs) 
Makes sense. A hundred percent. Hey, cold medicine or not, how you doing? <laughs> uh, so good. I have so many good ideas. <laughs> Let's move on to The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and Becca and Lindsay will decide which would most improve the book, or choose Paper, which is to leave the book as is. I did try to stack this one by trying to figure out how to fit Jaws into it, since it takes place in coastal Massachusetts. <laughs> not succeed. Womp womp. So sorry in advance. But fishing. Um, Swedish fish. Jaws. <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> if The Rock were in this book, he'd be the chaperone on Lizzie's trip abroad to England, and she'd confide in him how terrible her home life had become, because he just has that kind of face. And he'd sympathize, and he'd spend the rest of the trip just trying to convince her that she didn't need to go back there if it was making her so miserable, and that she could cut ties and be her own person. And once she meets Beatrice, she's very tempted to do so, but she still feels an obligation to her family, despite the fact that The Rock is insisting that she could follow her heart. So there'd be like a very tense scene where, you know, we'd think that she was going back on the boat to America, but she'd change her mind and follow the rock's advice at the last minute and like run away from the dock, housing her ship and into Beatrice's arms. And then they and their weird lesbian astral plane sex cult could live happily ever after in England, away from all of that nonsense in Fall River. Sounds good. Now, if Wolverine were in this book... Um, he would protest the Women's Christian Temperance Union, and he would explain to Lizzie that liquor is actually great and, like, a great way to solve your problems. <laughs> and she would hear his wisdom, and she'd loosen up about it, and I think that would um, maybe, like, patch up her relationship with Catherine. And so they'd move in together. And meanwhile, without her around, Andrew and Abby Borden would just die of food poisoning because that house was pretty gross. And then Lizzie would take the money to go back to England with Beatrice and live happily ever after. I think I have to go with Wolverine. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to go with The Rock. (laughs) Everyone wins. (laughs) I mean, we both, like, either way, it's way better for Lizzie, I think. Yeah. 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 It just depends what kind of what kind of wisdom you want. <laughs> Wolverine needs to like sit both the board and sisters down and be like, "Y'all need to find a happy middle ground with the alcohol, right?" <laughs> get tipsy. Don't get so messed up that men have their way with you while you're passed out. Right. All right. Drink among friends, <laughs> <laughs> or by yourself in your cave. Yes. But if you don't have a cave, then you got to adjust accordingly. (laughs) You're that angry at the world. Just make an anger cave and go there. Yes. (laughs) All right. Uh, What do we think the moral of the story is? My moral of the story is don't join a mail order cult. Hmm. Mine was that the journey of killing your parents was both tedious and abrupt. (laughs) Because it happens very suddenly at the end of this book. Yeah. Mine are women aren't capable of murder, but astral projections of women are capable of a lot. God, so true. My moral is just what kind of woman doesn't have an axe? 
Although, actually, it was a hatchet. <laughs> Footnote to my moral. <laughs> my other moral is just that New England summers will drive you to murder because, man, <laughs> everyone was hot and sweaty and miserable in this book. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte shares his opinions about the book. Dorothy, you're right, and I feel like this comes up a lot. Like, whenever there is a barn, there should definitely be barn cats. That's, like, the best thing about barns. And I don't... Yeah, I think if Lizzie had had, like, a barn cat up to help her with her astral projections, I don't know, maybe she wouldn't have uh, ended up as a murderer. I think I remember at one point when she's, like, designing her dream house that she's going to get when she actually gets to, like, leave. She is like, I could get a cat. I could get a cat. And, and yeah, like, that's goals. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, great points, Dorte. Thanks for reading this. And thank you so much for not murdering me and Lindsay. We really appreciate <laughs> it. Do any humans have any closing thoughts on this book? Uh, we kind of, like, alluded to this earlier, but uh, we, might, we might be making a new Patreon goal for, um us going to the Lizzie Borden house at some time in the future and doing an overnight stay. So, uh, look out for that. Um, cause we went, we went during the day and we did like the regular 50 minute tour during daylight. And when you stay overnight, um, you get like an extended two hour tour after dark. So that's cool. My hairdresser. Are we, are we turning this into a true crime podcast? <laughs> Those are so popular, but I don't like them. <laughs> I just want us to be very careful about this. This is, I think this is less true crime and more ghosts. Yeah, which oh, is right. brand. My, We're going for the ghosts. My hairdresser for her boyfriend's birthday bought him an overnight stay, but she wouldn't go with him. She made him take a friend instead, and apparently the tour was scary enough that another couple who was going to be staying left, but he and his friend like had no fucking problem with it and were like there all night running around in the basement sending snapchats to people being asshole men in a good way but you know so i'm i'm stoked do you guys think we could bring duarte as like a service animal because <laughs> <laughs> i i bet he could fight a ghost <laughs> I don't need to be bitten by your cat and a ghost in the night. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll look into it. <laughs> but yeah, it's too spoopy and I'm not going unless we get that paper. So it has to be a Patreon. Call. <laughs> uh, all right. My closing thoughts are like, uh, this is weird. It's a weird book. It's a weird family. It's a weird house. There were already lesbians in the real story. Why did you make new ones? I remembered what my thought was before that I couldn't remember, which was that in the book, they seem to like really drive home that Emma and Lizzie have no other friends because they just are condemned to spend all their time in this house and be alone and miserable when they did have friends, like a bunch of them. They weren't, like, these crazy old spinsters who stayed away from everyone. And I thought that that was a strange choice to make to change in the book. Especially because one of their friends plays a key role in the actual case of witnessing Lizzie burning a paint-splattered dress. But whatever. Choices. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, if you want some more of our not a true crime podcast, uh, you should like us on Facebook where we're worst bestsellers. You can follow us on Twitter where we're worst bestseller with no S because the S is actually in a bucket of rags right now and we can't get it out. <laughs> um, and we also have a Goodreads group where, which has a complicated URL that I'm not going to tell you, but you should just go to worstbestsellers.com and click on Goodreads if you're interested in that. You can also subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, or Google Play. Uh, if you do subscribe to us, if you could take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it pushes us up further in the charts and makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review us, we're going to have to astrally project and you know either murder you or try to buy prussic acid from you. <laughs> <way>. My cape! <laughs> You can also support us on Patreon. Uh, Patreon is at worst bestseller. Uh, no, at <laughs> patreon.com slash worst bestsellers. Uh, Patreon is a site where you pledge a small recurring monthly donation that goes towards things like paying our editor, Becca, so that, you know, she agrees to come on episodes of the podcast like this, uh, and also buying new equipment, taking field trips to visit the Lizzie Borden house, and, you know, maybe potentially staying overnight there. Uh, there's also perks for you. You get a discount on merch that should be coming out soon, um, a newsletter at a certain tier, and all sorts of other things. Yeah. If you want some more, if you want some more cool cold medicine Renata thoughts, you should follow me on Twitter. I'm at Renata Snacks. And you can follow me on Twitter at 14across. You can follow me on Twitter at Ginthusiastic. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ionic. Yay. We'll be back in two weeks with Alex and Eliza by Melissa De La Cruz if you want some young adult Alexander Hamilton shenanigans. And who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> well, as it turns out, well, we won't spoil it. I mean, people do want it. doesn't mean they accomplished it. People are clamoring. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us on this trip to Fall River. And bye. Bye.